Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. Welcome to episode 4,000 of Three Yards Per Carry. We are closing in on week one of the NFL season. Alf is here. Chris is here. I am here. We will look back at Panthers Dolphins from last weekend. We will ask uh, last weekend, what? It wasn't even the weekend. Last Friday night, and we'll talk about why the Dolphins can't score touchdowns. Uh, and Adam Gaze's comments about the fact that he doesn't care, that you don't care, that we can't score touchdowns, and that's fine with me. We'll look ahead to Ravens Dolphins. But before we get there, I've got some just stunning news. 24 hours after Mr. Manafort and Mr. Cohen were found guilty or pled guilty, however you want to play it, a terrible 24 hours for Donald Trump. It was discovered in between last week's episode and this week's episode that Chris went to university with Ivanka Trump and was in the same class as her, and he never even mentioned it. This is the greatest story of all time. I don't know how I haven't mentioned it yet to you guys. I've known you for Spiner knows that. I've known you for almost 20 years. And you've never once told me that you went to university with Ivanka Trump. I'm disgusted in you. <laughs> Come on. Well, still. actually, you've known me since before I went to university with Ivanka yeah. Trump. So, wow. There you have it. And, Come on. Spill the beans. And, tell the, yeah, listeners. Right, tell so, the listeners uh, which school, you know, background. I, listeners, I went, to, I went to Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. Um, that's where my undergrad. And Ivanka was a classmate. We had a calculus class together. She was, I believe she was a freshman. I was a sophomore. Um, I, of course, because I was, uh, I am not, uh, I am not born with a silver spoon in my mouth or anything. I, I worked all through college. So I, uh, I was a security guard and I, <laughs> that's yeah, another I worked, story. Yeah. <laughs> I worked, I worked. That's even better desk. than Ivanka Trump. <laughs> I worked the front desk at. Uh, what at were you a security uh, guard at? Like Toys R Us or something. <laughs> stand back. No, the dorms. They, have, they, had, they had us as security guards at the front desk of various dorms. Did you have a so, weapon? I did not have. 
Okay. <laughs> You're a pea shooter. <laughs> I can throw spitballs at people. Um, yeah. So anyway, I used to I used to guard the dorms, and uh, and she used to live at one of the dorm, dorms that I sat front desk at. She used to hang out. Um, I got to know her roommate actually pretty well. And, oh uh, yeah, gentleman never talks though. <laughs> <laughs> what was she studying? Uh, well, in the class that we had together, she was studying calculus. But uh, Georgetown is um, is sort of general studies for the first couple of years, so you don't really get to start specializing until uh, until the later years. And by the later years, um, she moved off campus by the second year, and I thought I heard that she just left altogether at some point and went to a different. Went to a different university. Uh, so, so did Donnie show up at any time? What's that? Did Donnie show up at any time? Yes, he did. As a matter did of you fact. see him? Yes, that's right. Nice. Come on. Uh, Let me go. I actually, I had a roommate. I had a roommate who was uh, kind of an interesting cat. Um, uh, recently passed away. It was very sad. Um, but he was uh, he was one of those guys that uh, was so ridiculous, but. You know, he just owned it, so you didn't really, you didn't really want to make fun of him too much about it. Um, but he used to you, yeah. go by the nickname Squid. And hmm. one day, you know, Donnie was there, the Donald was there, and um, and my roommate, you know, introduced himself. So Squid p- bumps into into Donald uh, while we we're there, and you know, he starts introducing himself. He said, "They call me Squid," and Donald's like. I like nicknames. They call me the. So that was uh, that Donald. Donald was obviously back then a lot more charming than uh, than now. I guess uh, not not quite not quite <laughs> the same now. And moving on from, from from Ivanka Trump and sort of to more sort of serious stuff. Uh, Alf, you yes. had a little party last week, Friday night, Miramar, mm-hmm. Dolphins yeah. game. How did it go? Oh, it went great. A uh, little bit of meet the public. Yes, Lloyd. Halbrun was there, and nice. there, there was a fan. Of our, was there. Yeah, there was a fan. Ooh. Yeah, we talked football for like 15, 20 minutes toward the end nice. of the game. And there was a fan there by the name of Corey. Shout out to Corey. He bought me two go. beers. Bought my wife a margarita. So no one, Very nice guy. No wonder, there's a, no wonder there's a shout out if he's buying alcohol. Yes, he is. <laughs> and was that man Steve Sykes there? No, he was oh, not there. Steve, Steve rules at life. But I did keep track of what I drank, and I have all the receipts to prove it, and I can post them online. Do you you charge that to the three yards per carry account? Yes. Like, you guys will be paying for my alcohol next month. Or you take it out of petty cash. So I have an actual count here. Uh, Simon, do you care to guess how many beers I drank? During that game. Oh wait, this is this is. Remember, remember, he he he's been telling us that he drinks like thirty. On a I Saturday. would say it's more than I've drunk in the entire year of 2018 to this point. I'm going to go. So what are we talking? Pints, bottles? Uh, uh, 75% of it was bottles and... Bottles of what? Beer. And yeah, but what, what sort? I mean, if it's Corona, Mexican then it's easier beer. to drink. Mexican. Yes, such a what? Okay. So it was a half Dos Equis, half Corona. Okay. I'm going to say 17 that's pretty, pretty, pretty close. Chris. Nice, but you've, you've kind of given Chris, you know. Well, given now, Chris that, now, now that, that, now that I know this, this is this is well, turning can, like Price is Right. I'm gonna he, go with sixteen. He, sixteen. Okay, that's that's pretty good. 
Well, I have the receipts in front of me, and Corey did buy me two 16-ounce Modelos. So that's two, right? I have two buckets, one, each of them are five. One of them is Dos Equis, the other one is Corona. So that's 12. Bought buckets for, like, yourself? You just you just drank all of the beer in the buckets? Yeah, like, like, uh, like what am I going to do? I'm going to be chasing a you know, waiter around for my next beer? Sure. No, I, t- I tell them to bring me five at a time, put them on ice in a bucket, and put it on my table. You know? He gets a nice tip, and I tell him, look, when, you know, the bottles are upside down, you bring another bucket. Okay, so that's up to it's 12. so forceful, Al. Yes, so that's 12. And I have receipts for three individual ones. So that's 15 is the count there. And I was still upright at the end of the night. So I was clearly the closest. Yes, you were. Except that you were, given, except you were given the result, actually. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, how can you be the closest? I don't, don't want to hear your excuses. I don't want to hear your excuses. excuses. It's, just, it's just facts, Donald. I mean, Chris. It's just a fact. <laughs> Do you see the synchronicity there, the way we segue beautifully from the Donald to alcohol and back to Donald again before we hit our first break? After that last segue, I kind of need to feel like I should segue nicely into our first advertisement of this show, and it is our favourite pirate tattoo artist. It's not really. She's not a tattoo artist. The social media queen. It's Miss Inc. A word from one of our new sponsors. That sponsor is miss-inc.com. That's miss-inc.com. They are social media problem solvers. They do social media marketing and content writing. We are using them right now. They've been in business for 10 years, and they believe in a personal, customized approach to marketing, so they only represent businesses that are serious about taking their visibility to the next level. Social media marketing requires much more than just a blog or profiles on a website like Facebook or Twitter. It takes a smart strategy and a daily interactive focus. Miss Inc. has been leveraging social media for Miami businesses since 2008. They don't believe in cookie cutter strategies or in boxing your business in with others in your industry. Here's how you check them out. Go to miss-inc.com or call 305-537-6465. And we're back. And guys... While I was there drinking all that alcohol, a game was being played. Now, obviously, I didn't see much of it. Did you even know that a game was being played? I'm I'm curious whether you saw any. Well, well, Corey kept getting really, really excited when things were happening. I saw uh, Xavier Howard's interception, and I saw that we had the ball at the nine-yard line. Then I saw that only three points went up, so I knew that there was going to be plenty of complaints. Online. You could have done a play-by-play on just Corey's reactions. Yes, exactly. I should have been doing that. I should have been live tweeting that. But I do record these I, games, so I've seen. Can I make a pronouncement before we go any further? I was on the three yards per carry Twitter during the game. Christ, Dolphins fans are the worst. They're the worst. <laughs> it's preseason. Do you know what some of these mopes would like? Some of these lot would like it to be the year that we went one and fifteen when Cam Cameron was four and zero in the preseason. That's what they like ahead of a one and fifteen season. They don't give a toss that we're keeping plays back. Yeah, they was like, why are we throwing it down the field more? Why are we in short passes? What's happened to our red zone offense? Why are we throwing it to Jessica? Why this are we is new because this is, this is the first time that I've heard you impersonate American Dolphins fans in your best was, American Dolphin fan it, accent. That wasn't even an American. That's just a whiny English sort of. That's just a whiny. Oh man, why aren't we throwing the ball down the field more than fifteen yards? 
like screenshots and then videos of Tyreek Hill's 69-yard touchdown against Atlanta's third string, as if as if that was the reason why... You know, look at this. Look at this. Look, the Chiefs are throwing the ball down. Oh, Stephen, look at Tyreek Hill catching the ball, dude. Why can't we do that? Why do we have to throw screen passes? I mean, seriously. It drives you insane. Of yes, course, well, I'm we're, just, we're obviously having a lot of fun. I'm here. having fun. Yeah, I did, si- a poll, I did a poll. Calm on, down, uh, people. Calm down. I did a poll on three yards per carry account on what dolphin fans enjoy. Was bitching number one? I think uh, complaining. Complaining was one of them. Yeah, okay. definitely. I mean, trolling. Far was and away. Trolling. That was a good one. Trolling yeah. and bitching were the two main things I saw. Anyway, can we talk was about this again? on the three yards per carry? Uh, yeah. Mate, see if you can get those. See if you can get those results. Don't yeah, ever I'll, go, I'll, don't, I'll pick up those results. Don't ever go on it when the Dolphins are playing, especially if the Dolphins are struggling. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I've been, I've fought in worse wars than that. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it's an absolute travesty, mate. Oh, Stephen, throw the ball! Oh my God! Anyway, the yeah. game itself. Let's talk about the game itself. Oh boy. yes, yes. Let's talk about the game. I've seen it four times since then. I found some encouraging things. There were some not-so-encouraging things. Today I went over Cordrea Tankersley's play, and it was not encouraging. But I'll start with you, say Simon, since you have so much to say on about Dolphin fans and concerning this game. Now, before you... you go, I just okay. want to know, why didn't they throw the ball down the field more? Because they didn't want to. Because <laughs> he's not Tyree Kale, Stephen. That's know. pretty much why. Yeah. Well, Simon, what did you take from the game? And let's let's start in a positive sense because I got no, I mean, plenty Chris, to bitch Chris about. And I, but... Chris and I watched it together in inverted commas, so we you know we were watching at the same time and we were WhatsApping each other back and forth all the time. And you know we we came up with a list post match of post game of encouraging things and and slightly discouraging things. And if we start with the encouraging, I thought that Tannehill looked sharp. You know that there were the, the, the hurry up offense. Looked sharp at times. There were also times where it looked sloppy, and he had a he had a, a a clock penalty when he allowed the the play clock to run out, which wasn't great. But there were encouraging signs there. The receivers were getting open a lot. Albert Wilson flashed. Jakeem flashed. You know, Kenyon Drake looked absolutely superb. You know, the the the, the run where he span out of a tackle, much like he did against uh, the Patriots in the regular season last year on Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football, whichever it was. Um, you know, he, he flashed the, the, what we've all been talking about. So in terms of, in, in that respect, there were, there was lots to, to be encouraged about defensively. You know, Robert Quinn had two sacks and could have had, a, could have had at least one more. Cameron Wake looked good. Charles Harris had a sack and a forced fumble. There were times in the game where Rayquan McMillan looked like the sort of player we've talked about. There were times when he looked worrying. We're not, you know, let's not sugarcoat that. Mm-hmm. You know, and Xavier Howard played really well. There was encouragement in the, the rest of the secondary. Fitzpatrick 
it looks like the game's slowing down for Fitzpatrick. Bobby McCain played well. And he gave up a he gave up a, a completion, but he played well. The kicking game, the, the, you know, Greg Joseph and Jason Sanders played well in the kicking game. We were moving the ball really well up and down the field offensively during Tannehill's tenure, you know, and then stupid penalties and, and things like that, which will concern you because that's what concerned us last season. And why aren't we learning from those sorts of things? But, you know, we'll get to the negatives in a little while, but there were certainly some encouraging things. And when the teams, you know, when the first team units went off the field, it was 9-6 to the Dolphins. We had a turnover of Cam Newton. Apart from the, the long McCaffrey run and the, and the Ian Thomas touchdown, we generally kept them under control defensively. I didn't ever feel threatened by what they brought to the table. You know, th- there were match-up situations. There were run fits that didn't work. There were some other things offensively and defensively that didn't work. But I thought there was quite a lot to take away that was positive. For the second game of the preseason, let's keep it in perspective, yeah. Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, your turn. Uh, Give me the positive. Just give me the positive. We did. Cause, we, cause we went back it, and forth. When, we were talking. Because when we go negative. We were negative, talking about the game. When we go negative, I have a litany of things here. So give it to me. Give me the good stuff. When we uh, we we went back and forth, we were talking about the game as it was happening. We were kind of watching it together. Uh, immediately, my notes were, you know, about Robert Quinn. I mean, he showed out. Uh, we asked him, this was one of my three three matchups, remember? Like, one of them was Laramie Tunsil against Mario Addison, another one, Robert Quinn against Matt Khalil, and the uh, third one, I just wanted to see how the the matchup of Jakeem Grant and Dante Jackson, because they have a history. Um, but Robert Quinn really showed up, and he was he was very strong in the game. He showed everything that they've been talking about in training camp, which we've been kind of skeptical about here uh, on our podcast, but for the first time we actually saw it, and that was good. Um, Xavier Howard was, I mean, he was still as awesome as you hear about. Uh, that That interception was beautiful. I thought that he was generally good in coverage. The defense didn't really allow much other than those big plays that we're talking about. The the Raekwon McMillan uh, gaff on the uh, the crosser with with Ian Thomas and the uh, the big you know seventy one yard touchdown run with Christian McCaffrey. I know that you can't really just take those out because hey, a score is a score. But you know, as far as executing every play, um, they were executing on a lot of plays, just not not very well in a couple of them. Um, there are a lot of completions. They moved the ball up and down the field. Kenyon Drake continued to look awesome. Jakeem Grant pretty much got whatever he wanted against the defense. And he ended up with four catches for 45 yards. Didn't even look like he was trying and somehow ends up with four catches for 45 yards. He didn't even, he didn't even make what I would say is, you know, a big play, the sorts of big plays that he seems to make, you know, every fifth opportunity or something like that, that, uh, that we saw last year, preseason last year, regular season, um, even 2016 in the preseason and, and, you know, this year, if you go to the first game of the Buccaneers game, that pass interference he drew, I mean, and he caught that ball. And if you read the recaps that that we do on Dolphins Maven, you know, I show a picture, you know, he, his knee is down. He caught that ball, even though he got interfered with. And there was when you were watching it happen, you're like, there's no way he's going to catch that ball. Uh, he ends up with four catches for 45 yards, I believe, uh, in this game. And it was just because that's what the Panthers gave him because they're so afraid of his speed. 
they they back up and they gave him all kinds of space and uh, and he was he was getting first downs and he was doing a good job. Do you think that means that what the Dolphins were doing were taking what the Panthers defense were giving them? Surely that's not what happened. No, it can't be that, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, what I will say is, I thought I thought at first maybe they might have been playing some two, and maybe that's why they weren't going going down the field. Um, but that was not the case. They were playing, they're playing a lot of cover three. The thing is, they were playing the corners, especially on you know sort the sorts of downs, first and second downs when you could go either way. They're playing the corners way off. They were afraid of the speed of Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant. They kept them in front of them. And because they were afraid of their speed, you know, Jakeem Grant was getting first downs where he wasn't supposed to be getting first downs. And Albert Wilson was able to um, to to get in some good work as well, although he dropped two balls. But he he did look pretty good overall, I thought. And Danny Amendola was able to, to do all right, even though his t- final yardage numbers don't look it. You know, he can one of them, he converted a first down off of third down, which is exactly what he's there to do. Another one, uh, he took what the defense was giving him and, and you know, got some good yardage, I believe, on a first down. So, uh, you know, there was a lot to like there. there. They were going no huddle. They were going hurry up. They were moving the ball, um, and they were getting uh, good yardage on the ground. And and then there was just some, some bad stuff. I have some stuff written down, you know, from when we were talking together, Simon and I. But, I, Alf, I think you have a lot more, so I'll just kick it to you. Okay, the good. Bobby McCain. We've been talking about him all for, I would say, four podcasts already about him p- playing on the boundary. He looked mm-hmm. great. He looked great out yeah. there. He looked like he belonged. And and I saw enough in this game. I know it's the second one. To definitively say this is our best secondary right now. What you're seeing right now, that's what that's the best we have. So Bobby McCain, I think, is the starter on day one at left cornerback. Ryan Tannehill looked great. Arm strength on point, route running great. Our tackles look good, except for one, one Addison rush on Tunsil, uh, you know. But you know, no harm, no foul. No, and and on that play, like he did, Addison. First off, what I what I pointed out when I said brought up that match matchup is let's keep in mind Mario Addison is actually one of the better and most effective pass rushers. Uh, in the league over the last deca- decade, he stacks up. He's kind of close to up there with Cameron Wake, you know, the guys that are elite that way as far as pressure percentages and stuff. And uh, and so, you know, him getting in there one time out out of how, however many rushes he was going to get, you know, that's that's what he that's what he do. <laughs> I mean, that's not that's not uh, to say that Laramie Tunsil necessarily had a bad game. And I looked at the other snaps that Laramie had. And snap for snap, though, he was doing a really good job on Addison. And I'll give you another positive. Welcome Maurice Smith to the preseason. Mm. Can mm. he can he push somebody for some playing time this year? Like mm. He like, played well. He played very, very well, and that encouraged me, especially in the I secondary. Tori McTire played well as well. I thought McTire I think so. He did. He had a, he had he a nice bounce back. He did. He did. Yeah. Uh, Tori McTire was good. Xavier Howard, forget about him. You know, he's he's a guy. Remember when we right. talked about having set and forget players? Yeah. Uh, well, congratulations, Mister Tannenbaum. You have him. He won't. Right he won't let you. He won't let you forget him because he's going. He's so. He's so goddamn good. Yeah, he's going to There's now but Bria piece this evening from the from the MQB that was at Dolphins camp on the day that um, 
Gay Bright and Sonorous Perry got into the fight, and then Gay Bright hit Kenyon Drake. Yeah, I was standing and, right next to Albert Breer that day. Yeah, and in that piece, it says um, it says that you know the Dolphins are just like doing backflips over how good Howard is and his potential and stuff. What I thought was interesting, though, in that piece was that I think in the Adam Gase era, we've drafted 24 players. 23 of the 24 are still on the roster. I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. And I'll give you one last positive before we we rip this team apart. (laughs) Leontae Carew might make this team on special teams. I had not thought about it until I saw him play in that game. But he looked good on kickoff coverage. Is that a positive? Or he's just auditioning for the fifth wide receiver spot on another team? He might be auditioning. Yeah, I think he might be auditioning for another team. That might be too little, too late. That's what the strikes Yeah, I can't see that. What I thought was interesting, and I think we touched upon it privately, is that Gavin Escobar was starting on special teams. Durham Smith um, doesn't or didn't start on special teams. Um and then in the Albert Breer column, Breer references Smith as a player that the Dolphins like. And we've talked about that sort of the, the sort of back channel conversations that we've had and Tannehill talking about Smith as well and his blocking and that sort of thing. Um, but I thought it was interesting that Escobar was playing on special teams because I, I kind of feel like Smith and obviously Jasicki, who apparently had a monster day at practice today, an absolute monster mm-hmm. day, which we'll probably get to in a minute. Um, they're obviously, I, I think they're obviously making the team. And then it comes down to Duarte, it comes down to Escobar, and it comes down to Marquise Gray, and it comes down to um, AJ Derby. And AJ had the one catch, but the, the push-off, which I thought was a bad call, um, yeah. but he's kind of stuttered, and the injury set him back a little bit. We all love Marquise Gray, but you kind of feel like he's might be on the bubble, but he's played special teams too. Yes. I think Duarte will be the odd man out, and I suspect that um, I suspect the odd man, Escobar may well be on the out. But you know, the fact that he's starting on special teams does make you wonder a little bit as to whether or not, you know, he might just fit in there. You kind of wonder if this was the game, like they, they let out in the first game with some guys on special teams that are on special teams because, you know, maybe they, they think highly of them. And then the second game might've been the chance to rotate that a little bit and, and give some other guys a chance. Um, so I, I wonder how much we can read into some guys being on special teams in the second game. Yeah, um, fair point. As be to, to see to who person. starts specialty. Yeah, exactly. But it'll be interesting to start see who starts on special teams against the Ravens. That will be absolutely. To see. Yeah, I absolutely. would say whoever starts in the first half on special teams with the Ravens against the Ravens, whoever's on the bench, that's who's getting cut mm. the following week. I, th- right. I, th- I think that that's pretty safe to say. And Quentin Poling, I would say, is the first guy to be that should be pretty nervous. He struggled. Yes. He struggled in the game. He struggled in both games. I thought. Um, yeah. And he keeps so, losing. And, and he keeps losing duties on special yeah. teams. Yeah. Okay. Now let's get into the negative because there was. Oh boy. There was there was plenty to get into. I have three pages of it, but I decided to start Jeez. crossing out everything that could be deemed nitpicking, and I circled three things. All right. So these are my notes. Okay, and they're all on one guy and on one drive. And this is in the third quarter. one of the third quarter, second and nine at the Carolina nine. Tank is playing off as the left cornerback. Gets out of his back pedal too early, turns his hips, gives a cue to Samuel, out of pattern. Tank is out of position, closes well, though. Reception, 26-yard gain as Samuel runs up the sideline. Can I just say something, though? Yeah. The fact that we, you have started your criticisms on a backup corner 
and something that happened in the third quarter isn't right. a bad thing, right? That's not bad. Okay, 52 it. seconds of the third quarter. First and 10 at the Carolina at 35. Tank is at left cornerback, playing off of Bird. Stays in his backpedal too long. Doesn't read the combination of routes and is slow to react to the slant 10-yard gain. Then, same drive. 14.55 of the fourth quarter, 50-yard line. Tank playing man up at left cornerback. No jam. Gives Samuel an outside release. Go route. Caught. 39-yard gain. And I wrote a little note under it. It says a jab step could have delayed the release. A one-handed jam could have helped. Neither happened. That drive ended up in a touchdown. That drive was completely on Cordrea Tankersley. Your thoughts, To Simon? be fair, Curtis Samuel was killing just about anybody he went up against. He really, he, I mean, he, I thought player. he was impressive. And also, that, that very first play where he, ran up the, when he runs up the sideline, Tankersley is about two millimeters away from knocking that ball away. I mean, he mm-hmm. didn't, and that's, you know, that's a mistake. But he is very, very close to right. getting that ball. His uh, athleticism got him there, you know, uh, let's, got him close. Let's be fair to Tank as well. Tank, Tank in, in the locker room, Tank said he played like hot trash, to quote. You know, I don't think he's a, he's a problem here. I, I don't think there's a problem him making the roster. I just don't think he played very well. I think he's in a bit of a sophomore slump. A bit, I think he's still a young kid. Let's not forget that. He's still a young kid, declared as a junior, you know, played reasonably well at times. Like, played pretty well at times last year. Got the concussion, you know, and I think a lot of, pressure on him to come in and be a starter this year and maybe he's just struggled with that maturity and and those sorts of things so you know i'm gonna i'm gonna cut him some slack i'm more concerned and i'm not but i am uh, about some of the play of raekwon mcmillan the the opening touchdown mm-hmm. you know getting caught up in the wash mm-hmm. couldn't get off the block that was that was just dis- I mean, look he wasn't the only one and if you wasn't dolphin, the only we've one talked about this privately and no, if you're if you're a Dolphins coach, you're looking at that film going, oh, look at every single guy that we hoped we could make a play. McCain, you know, Rashad Jones, T.J. Uh, McDonald, Raekwon. T.J. McDonald especially, I thought. T.J. yeah. Kiko, you know, all of those players, none of them could get off a block. If you're a Carolina coach and you're reviewing the tape, you're like, this is as, as well as we could ever, this is executed as well as we could ever have drawn it up. Absolutely. So there are two sides to every story. They got a hat sure. on a hat. They got perfect blocking position, knees bent, hands inside, turned guys out of holes. It was perfect. You know, the three of us could have run. Well, I probably mm-hmm. could. You two probably couldn't. The one, the touchdown, the big 71 yard touchdown run, there was a lot going on there. And I think, I mean, if, if anybody made a, a really egregious error on the play, I thought it was TJ McDonald. But otherwise, these errors were mostly just, you know, step up and make a play, recognize things a little more quickly. Um, nobody reacted at all. None of the linebackers keyed on the uh, the pulling guard from the backside and, and scraped. Um, I thought that schematically that it was probably a problem, uh, that they need to get cleaned up against two running back looks because this is two games in a row where they get two running back looks in the backfield like I formation or power and they're they're really they're really clueless against it. Matt Burke talked about it in between game one and game two, where he said, you know, listen, we, we face Adam Gase's offense every day and I don't think we see a lot of two running back looks, you know, power out of Adam Gase's offense. So we've got to get this cleaned up. It, it was a new look for these guys. Um and, but the thing is that that new look happened against the Buccaneers, and then when it happened again against the Panthers, they got gashed for it and absolutely destroyed. 
So they need to clean that up. That that's actually good news though, because it seems like that's a, a discreet um, a discreet problem to try and tackle, to try and get cleaned up as those two guys that, back high formation power looks. For the guys that, that are listening that are big dolphins fans but maybe don't study the X's and O's quite as much as we do, when we talk about run fits and the dolphins not hitting their run fits, not making just explain to the to the listeners that don't quite you know, aren't as studious as, as some without obviously talking down to people. What, what do we mean when we talk about run fits? Yeah. I mean, basically, basically when you have your run, your run fits, I mean, it depends on your gap defense, but you have the gaps, the a gap, B gap, C gap going from center guard, guard, tackle, tackle, tight end. And then you have the edge outside of the tight end uh, in the wide nine defense. One of the, the sort of the unique, aspects of it is that the um the sort of the innovation of it is that the defensive ends are supposed to shut down the edge and uh and and so that changes what you're doing from the linebacker standpoint as well as the safety standpoint is now the safeties can can be responsible for coming down and crashing down on what they call a c gap which would be the the gap between the the tight end and the tackle. Um, in some of these cases, I mean, it, your run fits are are all about matching up and getting getting your uh, your hips into the gap and defending it. And so when we talk about that, we talk about not quite getting your run fits right. It's usually just a matter of leaving a gap open. Okay, on the Ian Thomas touchdown that we were blaming Raquan McMillan for, I saw the play. Uh. And it's just a perfect play call. We're in man. They mm-hmm. they are in eleven personnel. They got slot right. Uh, the slot guy presses the hash. Uh, Bobby McCain is running up the field. Gives an inside release to a receiver number seventeen, who's pressing him up the field. They run Ian Thomas across of across Raquan McMillan's face. The only thing that you can really fault anybody there is the play call. And Rashad Jones' per, uh, pursuit lane is, is completely off. He should have made that tackle somewhere around the five-yard line. And he's late. So I don't see how we can blame anybody. All he could do is basically overplay it. Or we could be in zone and pretend and and stop the play altogether. Like, that's the only thing we can do. Can I just ask one quick question, which deserves just a quick answer? How concerned should we be about our defensive tackles? I know we've talked about it. We talked about Akeem Spence a little bit, but how worried should we be? Well, I think that if we're going to be playing this wide nine, I think we mm. should be really, really nervous. And if we shouldn't be nervous, then it might be time to just scrap the wide nine altogether. Because ever since it's gotten here, there's been issues, especially up front, and especially stopping the run. So you're not going to get rid of all the players. So you know, change the scheme a little bit. I'm going to pull a Denny green here and say, uh, they are who we thought they were. Um, the, the defensive tackles are playing about how we built them to play. Poll oh. results. This poll got 674 votes. And the question is the dolphin fan enjoys, and there's a tie up top. Unbelievable, but true misery and complaining are tied at 38%. Next was fourteen. Likely. Next was negativity at fourteen percent, and last was trolling other fin fans at ten percent. I, I thought trolling would have come in a lot higher than it did, but uh, mm. hey, it did you not. Know. 
Right. Well, we want to get to the Ravens game and uh, and the all important third preseason game. What can we expect there? Uh, but first, we need to hear from some of the other podcasts on the Five Reasons Network. Josh Darrow here, host of the Five Rings podcast, where it's always a Canes thing on the Five Reasons Sports Network. What are we about? Pretty easy. I want to tell stories and I want to share the journey for the players and coaches, past and present, affiliated with the University of Miami. Take Manny Diaz. He grew up in Miami. He grew up going to the Orange Bowl. It was, you know, it was all those 1980s teams. You know, that that's where it all started for me. And just, just the style of play, and and really, it was, it really took hold when Jimmy Johnson was here. And, you know, sitting there in the Orange Bowl in '86 when we're whipping Oklahoma, and just, you know, what I mean, just, just speed and then violence. You know what I mean? It, 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 you know, we're not only, you know, you know, Nebraska was a changing of college football. It's those kind of memories we want to share with you. Listen, subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate the support. The Five Rings Podcast, where it's always a Canes thing, and we're always a part of the Five Reasons Sports Network. Hey, this is Seth Levitt, and I am here with two-time Miami Dolphins team MVP. Seth, 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 man. They already know this is O.J. McDuffie. Why don't you tell them what we're really here for? We're excited to join the crew at the Five Reasons Sports Network to bring you our new podcast, The Fish Tank, Dolphins Tales from the Deep. O.J., tell them what they can expect when they dive in. Yeah, Big Seth, we've got some of your favorite all-time Dolphin players in the tank sharing some of the best stories that you've never heard. So it looks like Sasquatch is, is, is chasing me <laughs> because you, you know Izzo with his clothes on. He's so hairy, that guy. <laughs> Wait, why are you looking so, at me like I know Lizzo with his no, clothes off? Seth with his clothes off. So make sure you find the fish tank on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or if you're one of those Android people, Google Play Music, or on several cross-platform apps, including Podbean and Stitcher. Thanks for diving in. All right, and we're back. And now we want to get into the third preseason game, which is sort of the dress rehearsal of the preseason, where the starters should be out there for at least the entire first half. Uh, most of or part of the third quarter, it's important they find to uh, to get them in after halftime, making some halftime adjustments and uh, and seeing how they execute that way so you can expect ryan Tannehill and the starters to be out there in the second half for at least part of the third quarter the baltimore ravens on the other hand they don't treat the preseason exactly the same way so that's that's going to be the subject of discussion we're going to get into it i want to see i want to see uh simon you said that you had a question about this uh this matchup that you wanted to, to answer what was that yeah I mean, obviously, you want to see touchdowns because that'll just stop people bitching and, you know, let's start moving the ball and let's get the ball in the end zone. Uh, the, the thing I think is the most intriguing is the backup quarterback situation. Who is going to emerge from mm. the wasteland that is the backup quarterback? <laughs> is it going to be Brock Osweiler? Will it be David Fells, who looked horrendous last week? Or Bryce Petty, who's going up against third string players, is working with third string players, yet looked actually pretty good last week in mop-up duty against the Panthers mm. who is going to emerge who will it be will we keep two will we keep three that rhymes it wasn't even meant to but what do you think is going to happen briefly David Fails is going to win the job because you know how Adam Gase is that's his guy and he brought him in here he kind of set him up to win the, the backup job and Bryce mm. Petty didn't get much run last week so I think David Fails is going to win the job but Bryce Petty is making a case for keeping three quarterbacks Wow. I think that 
I think David, I think you're right about David Fails. I think he's going to get the backup job, and it was sort almost has a look of being, you know, preordained uh, that way because of Adam Gase's, uh, I guess, his, his sort of his attitude toward Brock Osweiler coming in. And um, he's given them him a real chance, but I think ultimately it's going to be the guy that it always was going to be, which is David Fails. And in defense of Fails, I will say in this Carolina game, he did throw what would what would have been a very nice touchdown yep. uh, to yeah, Leonte Carew at, in the back of the end zone. And Leonte just you know didn't even try really to get his second foot down, uh, which is part of the inconsistency with him. But um, but he threw a nice pass. He got them. He punched them into the end zone, or at least it should have been a score. So he's he's done all right. He did all right in the Buccaneers game. Brock Osweiler has done okay. It's it's up and down. I think the guy that we're all we're all loving on Bryce Petty here because of how he played at the end of the Buccaneers game, and again he did it again at the end of the the Panthers game. All the guy does is just drive them down the field and score. And we're getting all excited about it, but everything we're getting from the Dolphins is suggesting that this guy is running fourth, and there's no question about it, and that's just the way it's going to be. So he's going to be you know, yet another example of this sort of preseason fan hero kind of player that ends up in the first line of cuts. And, and that's um, I think that's the way it's shaping up for Bryce Petty. It's unfortunate. Uh, I like him. I like what he's done with the team, but the language that's coming out from them is not that good. Well, I should say we are 0-2 in the preseason. Bryce Petty is 2-0. <laughs> that's right. That's true. I mean, it, he, he came in. I I remember when we were on Twitter, Simon and I were going back and forth. Uh, the Panthers uh, at one point uh, gave us only, or were only ahead by eight points. And I think there was something like seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, and the Dolphins were going to get the ball next. And I thought, okay, here's here's where Fails and Osweiler are done. They've had a lot of run. It's time for Bryce Petty to get in. And so I made a crack on Twitter about, you know, you fools, you only you only gave them an eight point <laughs> deficit. That's not nearly enough. Yeah. And um, and, and now, I, in in fairness. They did not put Bryce Petty on the field at that point. They kept on with David Fales, and then the lead you know, blew out to even more. They got another touchdown. But when Bryce Petty got on there in those final two minutes, he scored those goddamn eight points. <laughs> yes, he did. So, <laughs> Absolutely. That's two two-point conversions for him, by the way, and two yes. touchdowns. Yes. So oh. the man, my, man's, my man scored it four times in two games, but still he's going to get cut. Yeah, which is unfortunate. But I'll tell you what I want to see. Who's the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens? Joe Flacco, right? Pretty stationary, not mobile. I want to see Lamar Jackson. Well, 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 not in this, <laughs> not in this game. Not yet. Not yet. Well, by week four, maybe. Maybe after this game, maybe. But I want to see our <laughs> pass rush destroy that Ravens offense. They run a lot of uh, now. Here's one thing that's going to be interesting is that they run a lot of leads. They're they're like an outlier in the NFL, so they run some power. We gotta you know if we start giving up four and a half yards a clip on those basic run plays, then we might have serious problems. 
because then that means that we well, that's, can't, we can't stop. That's the thing. That's the game. obvious thing to point out. Two games in a row, we've had problems with with power and with leads and with uh, two running, two back uh, backfields. And here we go with the Ravens, who that's all use they it. Run. That's all they run. Yeah, you know, they use it more than anybody else. Yeah. So if if this is our weakness as a defense, at least we're getting a, a really strong opportunity to work on it this preseason between the Buccaneers and their use of it, the Panthers and their use of it. And now the Baltimore Ravens and their use of it. I mean, they're, they're getting plenty of shots to work on this. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I really want to see. Uh, we're playing against a quarterback, which we are designed to destroy. Well, let's mm-hmm. go do it. You know, hold the Ravens to a field goal for the first half. How about that? Can we do that? And can we score two touchdowns in the first half? Is that mm-hmm. too much to ask? You know, I have we're expectations gonna, for this game, and I do want to see them play well. Because I think that we're going to see. I, I don't think we're going to see Joe Flacco as often as as um, as people think. I, I've heard that uh, the Ravens treat their first three preseason games, you know, uh, sort of more or less equally. They they have they don't they don't treat the third preseason game, which actually this is their fourth preseason game, because they played the Hall of Fame game. But they don't treat this week as um, as the same way everybody else does. We're only going to see those starters for maybe like 20 snaps or something like that. The Dolphins might have their guys out there for longer than the the Ravens have their first stringers out there. So I think we're going to see a really nice, healthy dose of Lamar Jackson and Robert Griffin. And if we see that, then what we're going to see is a totally different test. All right, well, we're doing something a little bit different on this episode of Three Yards for Carry. We had an interview with Gary and Thorne of Fantasy on Five. Which, but first, this uh, this promo. Hey, this is Gary and Thorne, host of Fantasy on Five on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Draft season is growing ever closer on the fantasy football calendar, and we are preparing you twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, for those big drafts. If you weren't listening to the show this week, Here's what you missed. Jackson is is a complete bust. He's a fade. I wouldn't even think about him. He's one of those guys that I would only play in DFS and maybe take a flyer in a standard league if he continued to drop down the board come draft day. I want the upside and the young, fresh, talented Godwin who's got some hands. Again, check out Fantasy on 5 with myself and David Ganos every Tuesday and Thursday on the 5 Reasons Sports Network. And we're on with Gary and Thorne of the Fantasy on 5 podcast on the 5 Reasons Sports Network. How you doing? Hey, guys. Doing well. Well, you have a podcast planned for this week. Everybody's, most of the country is going to be drafting on Saturday. Tell our listeners what they can expect on Thursday. Probably just more of the same. I mean, we do have arguably our most notable guest uh, we've had on the podcast, uh, Jamie Eisenberg of CBS. So he's going to be talking about some of his basic draft strategies, some stuff he's utilized already this season. And uh, yeah, David and I continue to just break it down position by position. I, I, I think, too, One thing I would recommend is just going back, and if you really are concerned about particular things, we have a whole episode we've already shot on basic draft strategy and some techniques we would suggest using, depending on whether you're in a, you know, snake draft or an auction draft. Uh, We went position by position in terms of rankings, so... You know, go back, listen to some old ones, but definitely check out what Jamie's got to say on Thursday, too. Now, let me ask you quickly, uh, do you mostly do PPR leagues or standard scoring? 
I'm a little bit new school, so I lean towards PPR. I think something like 65 or 66 percent of leagues are now PPR. Like I saw someone was trying to get a grassroots movement to get standard not called standard anymore because PPR is technically the standard setting. But I, I, that's probably too complicated for everybody. But I, you know, I, I dabble in both, so we we can get into each and and some guys who maybe don't cross over as well in particular formats, but. I think, generally speaking, the world is moving towards PPR. What's standard scoring for PPR, though? Like uh, the receptions in particular, is it half a point per reception, or is it what is it? I would say if you're just going with the baseline PPR settings, uh, it's a full point. Which I, I could see the argument that that's a little much. I get it, but uh, I don't mind it so much. I, I, I think that when you're talking about your standard PPR settings, yeah, full point PPR yard or point per 10 yards six points for receiving rushing touchdown and then four points for a quarterback touchdown i gotta ask you though uh because we see this all the time and um at this part of the year how much how much do you pay attention to preseason in order to to really kind of hone in on some of the trends that you're looking at and uh, or it doesn't matter at all i think there's it matters a little bit. It's it's just about sifting through the crap, right? Like there's there's a lot of nonsense, especially the first two weeks. I think everyone's smart enough at this point to realize week four doesn't mean anything. But week three is kind of interesting, just from the sense that we do get to see almost a full half, maybe even a half and a bit of a, the third quarter of real football. But there are particular battles, particular teams that you want to be looking at, like. You know, for instance, the Browns, like who was running the first team snaps with the Browns when it came to the running back position? Was Carlos Hyde actually cemented as the guy or could we maybe start seeing some of the younger guys take over that role? And it seems like Hyde right now, early in the season, is very cemented in that role. So there there are certain things to look at, but I would say the most important thing is, as you guys well know, is just seeing who comes out healthy. Uh, the injuries and how those impact uh, week one specifically. I mean, we've already seen some running backs go down. We see some offensive linemen, key offensive linemen go down. So that stuff's important. But, you know, some no-name receiver catching 110 yards, that's that's stuff you don't really need to pay attention to. Okay, as far as the mock drafts, I'm pretty sure you've done plenty of them so far. In the ones that you've done, how many running backs have you seen gone in the first round in, let's say, a 12-team league? In a 12-team league, you're probably going to see somewhere between seven and nine running backs go in the first round. I, I think that's even 10 running backs in extreme cases. It really comes down to how people feel about Julio Jones. Now, I am very pro Julio Jones. I'm a big touchdown regression normalization kind of guy. And Julio had all the red zone targets you could want last season. He just didn't happen to take advantage of any of them. And, and that's been the knock on Julio the last, man, I want to say like three seasons now. So I get it. I, I get the desensitization to Julio Jones. But that's kind of the thing where if Julio's fallen out of that first round, even if Odell Beckham's falling out of that first round, you're not left with a whole lot of non-running backs because no one's taken a tight end. And Gronk's now established himself as a second-round selection. No one's moving up in the drafts to take him like it's 2014. There are no quarterbacks who even come close to warranting a first-round selection. So, you know, eight, nine, ten running backs in the first round, it's it, it's right now a very running back-heavy league in terms of the talent we have. So a lot of those guys going off the board. But 
you know, Antonio Brown still, I, I wouldn't actually do this, but, you know, Antonio Brown still has a case to be made to be the number one pick in a PPR. So not to say the wide receivers are completely off the board, but yeah, running back, running back heavy in the first round. Now the, you know, we're a Dolphins podcast, so I'm going to ask you about one very specific Dolphin, and that's Kenyon Drake. When Ajayi got traded last year, I'm looking not at Kalen his... No, not Kellen Balazs. But I'm, <laughs> when Ajayi got traded last year, I'm looking at his point totals. And the reason I'm looking at his point totals is because I picked him up in, in my league. And from the point that he got traded, this is through the end of the season, and this is in a PPR league, 16.4, 18.2, 2.4, 11.7, 25.1, 25.5, 23.3. That was good enough to be seventh overall among running backs. I'm looking on ESPN's website, and they got him ranked 31st overall. Who's right and who's wrong? I think ESPN's wrong. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of taking Kenyon Drake. In fact, I've kind of been happy with this really stupid game Adam Gase seems to be playing with the whole Frank Gore, oh, they're both the running back one thing. Like, look, anyone, I don't know how you guys feel about this. I say this virtually every episode we talk about Kenyon Drake, but anyone out there who thinks that Frank Gore is nothing more than just a cheerleader on this team or someone coming in to change the locker room culture, which has been such a noted dolphin storyline the last, I don't know what decade and a half, 15 years. It's been a real long time with this team, but I mean, Drake is so clearly the superior back. He's so clearly the more talented of the two. Even Frank Gore came out last week. I think it was and said, wow, this guy's really talented. He's like a top 10 back in the NFL. If the guy who's apparently going to be splitting carries can't stop gushing about the dude, I feel like Drake's got easily, easily, not the bell cow role in this offense, because Gore will still see, I don't know, five, six touches a game. It's it's going to be a little annoying, but I, I would definitely err on the side, especially with how he's fallen in drafts, of just take Kenyon Drake's upside, hope that Adam Gase comes to his senses. Because I, I guess that's the thing, too, is sometimes in the industry, we, we tend to just go, okay, this guy's so much better than the other guy it's so clear to us that this is how it's going to play out you have to take this person it, it really does come down to how the head coach feels so I, I do think this is a little bit of a smoke screen this offseason I, I don't think Drake's going to come anywhere close to sharing carries with Frank Gore so no I'm, I'm very heavy and, and and very happy uh, that Drake's value has fallen as much as it has uh, the last month or so uh, I mean right now he's going in the fourth round so if you can get him and anywhere in the fourth is fine with me, but you can get him towards the back end of the fourth. So, you know, if you've already gone running back, running back, and you're sitting there with like an early or I don't know, even like a mid fifth, fourth round pick and another mid fifth round pick, you can see and wait and, and see if he drops because he might. He has in a couple of mocks I've done already. So, yeah, there's there's just this. I don't know what it is. People just don't seem to want to believe that this is Drake's backfield. And I guess all the coach speak we've heard would lead you to believe that's that's the case. It's not necessarily his backfield. But yeah, I I, I am very much investing in the fact that this Frank Gore thing is just not actually going to happen. I would warn that the field is littered with the graves of people that wait for coaches to quote unquote come to their senses. This um, is true. This is very so, true. However, if you do have faith in Kenyon Drake, what you would have to have faith in is that coaches only tend to change when they're dragged by the nose, kicking, screaming, flailing, and crying. So if the Dolphins are losing and Kenyon Drake is exciting and breaking off big runs and getting five-plus yards per carry as he's done his whole career, and he's led pro football focus and the elusiveness rating for the last two years, 
if that's happening and the Dolphins are losing, then you might get your wish to come true. But if the Dolphins are winning, then I, you know, I, I got to warn Kenyan owners on this because, as I said, coaches, they don't like to change. They don't like to come to, you know, quote unquote, come to their senses. It's true. Um, the, the funny thing with fantasy, as you're saying, is, you know, you look at a situation like what Jay Ajayi is facing this year, and a lot of people want Jay Ajayi or want to believe Jay Ajayi is going to be the lead back in Philadelphia, despite the fact that Doug Peterson's philosophy on running backs just got validated in the the grandest way possible. I mean, this is a guy who was rewarded with a near perfect coaching performance in the Super Bowl. I don't think he's going to change this system in which he throws three, four different running backs out in a single game. And, you know, it's it's those weird shifts with fantasy versus real life where despite the fact that I 100% agree with that coaching philosophy in a vacuum, I, I do think people overvalue the running back position. I do think we attach too much name value to particular guys. You should really just kind of have this rotation of fresh legs back there because it seems to work. But at the same time, when it comes to Drake specifically this season in fantasy – his value has dropped so far down, and as we were talking about, there are so many running backs going in the first two rounds of drafts that the sunk cost here, you don't need Drake to actually be a bell cow. You just need him to get, I would say, 15 to 18 touches per game, and that's the thing, too. I mean, if if we've seen anything from Adam Gase the last three years, and granted, he's had not the not the most pristine quarterback situations with Cutler having to come in last year— I mean, what, what's Tannehill's ADOT so far this preseason? Like negative three yards? They, they just don't seem to want to throw the ball down the field, and that would lend itself to Kenyon Drake being very involved in the passing game. And, you know, once you draft Drake, I mean, the guys going behind him right now are the aforementioned Ajayi, Lamar Miller, Marshawn Lynch, Karan Johnson. Like there's, there, there's not a ton – he, 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 aside from maybe Marshawn Lynch, I would say that he is the last guy on the board at the point he's being drafted who is, even has the potential to be a bell cow back. Not even, not even that he's going to be, but just has the potential. So I, I think with where he's going, you don't even need him to be that, but at least he's still got that upside. And I think that's what I like about him. And it deserves to be said that this guy is catching the ball a lot. So in a PPR yes. league where you're getting a full point, for every catch, even if he is in a sharing situation, he's the guy that's going to get the catches, not Frank Gore. Frank Gore might get the touchdowns because I know they view Frank Gore as a weapon in the red area, and they've even sort of excused they're not scoring touchdowns this preseason, in part because they haven't brought out all of their bag of tricks in the red zone, and one of the ones they cited specifically is that Frank Gore hasn't played in either of the preseason games and Frank Gore they view as a red zone weapon. So uh so he will get some he will hawk some touchdowns unfortunately for uh for fantasy owners. But he's not gonna be the catch guy. Can you how, how do his? you guys how do you guys feel? Sorry to cut you off. I'm just I'm just curious sure. to get another opinion on this, because uh, I don't get to talk to a lot of Dolphins fans here in Miami. Or sorry, here in Toronto. But uh I'm so mesmerized by Adam Gase's red zone philosophies from last season, specifically inside the 10-yard line. Like, everyone can point to just the ridiculousness that was Jarvis Landry's, not even just the touchdowns, but his his target rate inside the 10 for a receiver of his size. Like, I, I believe all nine touchdowns came within nine yards of mm. the end zone. He seemed so just reluctant to give a running back the ball. And, and maybe this had something to do with the doghouse that Jay Ajayi was in. But I, I seem to remember checking to see how many 
red zone or, or not even red zone, but rushes inside the five yard line Ajayi had at the time of him being traded. And I think it was one. So seven games into the season, he had one carry inside the five, yet Jarvis Landry finishes the season with, I believe, 21 red zone targets. Like, do you think that was just a circumstance thing? Like, now that they have Frank Gore, they're going to rely on running backs again? Or, or does Adam Gase just want to throw the football inside the 10? It's a few things. Adam Gase's experience with Peyton Manning, where he threw, what, like 50 touchdowns and a bunch of them, uh, a bunch of them coming in the red area, I mean, his experiences and or his uh, philosophies are informed by that experience to some degree, but also he spooks easily as far as the run game is concerned. Uh, in in any way, and that's not just in the red zone. Adam Gase, as a coach, is a guy that's going to want to naturally throw the ball over and over again. He will run the ball when he thinks that it's working and it's the best thing for him to win. See, you know, see twenty sixteen as a good example of that. But um, but he will spook off of it pretty easily, and in the red zone, that's where you get the true test of where of your offensive line's metal. And unfortunately, the offensive lines that he has had to work with, for the most part, Adam Gase. Uh, speaking of Adam Gase, those offensive lines have not been very good. So when you see that, it's not just in the red zone. It's not just Kenyon Drake whip, whipping out a bag of tricks and doing something ridiculous. Um, the the spaces are too tight and too condensed down there. Actually, has to be some offensive line execution. And Miami has had that uh, has not had that. Sorry, uh, in the last couple of years, and it has been as Andy Benoit said uh, for SI.com probably the biggest limiting factor in Adam Gase's offense to date with the Miami Dolphins. Oh, I will not stand here and, and let you speak ill of Ted Larson and, and company. They've, they've had some <laughs> fabulous guards the last half decade. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, one thing about that is Adam Gase has always believed in simplicity in the running game because he thinks that if you call certain plays that are designed to be run a certain way and you call them often enough, which I, I, call, I, I tend to call them pet plays, that execution will come easier. So what Chris was talking about, about spooking easily, you could see how that could happen because if you only have three pet plays and they keep getting stuffed over and over again, you could see how you'll be completely off of it. Now, as yeah. far as the rest of the team, who do you think is undraftable and who do you do take a flyer on? Oh, I mean, it's funny because you guys said you wanted to talk about one Dolphin specifically, and there was no question in my mind it was Kenyon Drake because you got to go way down the ADP charts to find another Dolphin who's being drafted inside even the top 10 rounds. I mean, Devontae Parker was the guy. Oh, God. The broken finger, really? obviously. <laughs> and that's that's the interesting thing. And and, and I, I, I can understand the hesitation. I get the frustration. But at the same time, especially in a PPR, that's that's not really something that lends itself well to Kenny Stills. I understand he could necessarily be the number one receiver on this team. But at the same time, you look at his red zone target distribution from last season. I, I think he had four. Uh, and, and as we talked about, there were a lot of opportunity for red zone targets for receivers in this Dolphin offense. You know, they lose they lose Jarvis Landry, who was so far and away the red zone leader in targets. Uh, you know, we can make all the Julius Thomas jokes we want, but at the same time, he also was in double-digit red zone targets by season's end. So there's this huge, like, 60% of the pie chart opportunity to be filled by someone. And, and I guess Gesicki could be that guy, but you're not drafting a rookie tight end 
in a 12-man league. That's just not something that's going down. So, you know, at the end of the day, for as disappointing as he is, sometimes you just have to bank on actual talent and upside. And and with the injury and, and how that sent his ADP spiraling down to about wide receiver 50, I mean, that's that's just free money with Parker. At that point, if you don't hit on an 11th round pick, no one cares. That's that's not going to make or break your season. But Parker, you know, this this is a time in drafts when people are already considering taking defenses. Actually, four defenses have a higher ADP than Devontae Parker. I mean, if people are just drafting defenses already and backup quarterbacks, take a guy who at least has the potential to be a top 25 receiver. I don't know if he's going to get there. I would bank on the side of him not getting there. But upside is where you want to be going at this point in drafts. I think that I would actually, I, there are probably three receivers that I would take before Devontae Parker on the Dolphins uh, from a fantasy perspective, especially in a PPR league. First off, Ryan Tannehill going all the way back to um, to Texas A&M has overused, he has shown a tendency to overuse his slot player. And this was true right away as a rookie with Devon Bess. It was true with Jarvis Landry. I mean, there's a reason that Jarvis Landry became the player that he became, and it was because of opportunity. And he had that opportunity in large part because Ryan Tannehill always looks for the slot player. And this is this is a bit of a scary prospect. It's not something I look forward to, but uh, Danny Amendola, so long as he's out there on the field, Ryan Tannehill's going to look for him. Now, I don't think he's going to produce in a way that's that's fantasy, you know, friendly uh, because the yardage might not be there. I mean, the yards per catch is probably going to be pretty low. Um, but another player to look for that way because of that tendency is Albert Wilson because he can be used in the slot and as well as the outside. And what the feeling that you get from Miami when you see them use Albert Wilson is that they're going to find they're looking to find a lot of different ways to get him the ball including runs, you could see him get uh, over a dozen, maybe two dozen carries this year as a running back because they're using him in the backfield. They're using him like a Tariq Cohen uh, wannabe and so, or a Percy Harvin, if you will. Um, so he's going to get carries as well as catches. He's going to get those midline read shovel passes and um, just like he got in Kansas City, they have an idea of what he can do that way. Um, they do view Danny Amendola, unfortunately. I don't know if this is going to work out. They view him as a, a, a red zone threat, and they think that he's going to be particularly effective in the red zone scoring touchdowns. So take that however you want to take that. I, Devontae Parker, for us, we've been talking about it for a long time on three yards per carry. We just, we're not sure. He, the chips are down for him. And he's not the kind of player that has the mental makeup to uh, to lift himself or his team up when the chips are down. Uh, and and that in that way, we we do have to question him. So I don't know if I would even draft him above Kenny Stills or even Albert Wilson or Danny Amendola at this point. I think the one guy I would probably go for is the guy that you said that people wouldn't draft, and that's the rookie tight end, Mike Gesicki. And that's not just the Dolphin homer in me. I think that Mike Gesicki is playing a position that Adam Gase has always favored. Uh, the offense that he runs, this why ISO-oriented offense, really has the potential to use the tight end quite a bit, and he's never had it in Miami. I mean, the real problem, and, and kind of the way we've already 
talked about this and hashed this out is is a perfect representation of what the problem is. There's going to be a lot of just canceling out. I mean, one of the biggest factors in fantasy football, especially with your higher round selections, is tying skill position players to high potential offenses and, and high scoring offenses. And I think we can all agree that even under the best circumstances, the Dolphins are probably middling at best by season's end when it comes to scoring offense. And on top of that, with so many options, I mean, you know, I, I, I agree. I, I don't I, I don't dislike Gasicki in any way. It's just it's just supply and demand. Like in a 12 man league, no one one of my cardinal sins of fantasy football would ever be drafting a backup tight end. That's a waste of a roster spot. If you mm-hmm. want to stream tight ends, that's fine. Like if you want to take David and Joku at the end of a draft and kind of play the tight end weekly matchup game. Like, I'm sure there will be weeks Gasicki is called upon and is one of the top streaming tight ends. But, you know, when Jordan Reed's going as the 10th tight end off the board, and even someone like, you know, health health issues aside, Tyler Eifert is going as tight end 13 in a 12-man league. Like, there's just no reason to draft him. And and I, I, I again, I like Gasicki. If he played another position... Maybe we could talk about it, but it's it's sort of like the quarterback thing. There's just there's only so many mouths you have to feed, and 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 I just think that he's not someone you can draft. I to go to Albert Wilson, I I really do like Albert Wilson. I think he's a fantastic sleeper. I think he's someone who is a breakout candidate this year. And the fact that he's not going drafted, you can essentially take him with one of your final two picks. I mean, people drafting in the city of Miami might have to be a little harder on him because I know he's gotten. Uh, quite an amount of buzz uh, so far this offseason, so maybe you have to be more aggressive in pursuing him if you do want him on your team. But that's that's about knowing your league mates as well. But the reason I, I keep coming back to Devontae Parker is which one of these guys has the potential to be you know, worthy of a top 50 placement in fantasy football by season's end. The only guy I think who has the capability to get there is Devontae Parker. Again, I don't think he will. I would side on the fact that he won't. I have the same pessimism you guys do, but none of these guys are going to win you a fantasy football week. You're not ever starting Danny Amendola. You're not really ever starting Kenny Stills unless you're in a bye week or someone or your team's just ravaged by injuries. And and that's the thing. You're not looking for players who are all right to fill out your roster. Your, your bench should really be comprised of guys who just have the highest ceilings possible because – Really, that's what's going to win you fantasy football. You don't want to be playing for third place, you know? Okay, Gary, and before we get you out of here, uh, ESPN has their consensus top five, and this is from their fantasy experts. Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, David Johnson, Ezekiel Elliott, and Antonio Brown. What do you agree with? Who can get into that top five before season's end? I think that is pretty much the consensus top five. Uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about, and, and people often ask, like, if you could pick where you'd want to draft from, where would you be picking? Uh, I personally would be picking from the number three spot this year. I, I want one of either Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, or David Johnson. Uh, I think they're on a whole other tier. And, and we could even have a conversation about Gurley and Bell being on their own tier, David Johnson being after that, and then Ezekiel Elliott, Antonio Brown, and, and the rest of those running backs along with DeAndre Hopkins. But I, I think that that is such a clear-cut five because once you get past that point – Hopkins obviously has a ton of potential. Uh, This is a guy who was far and away wide receiver one in both standard and PPR when Deshaun Watson was healthy last season, but it's such a small sample 
that you really can't prorate that enough to say, I want this guy over Antonio Brown. Like Antonio Brown has done more than enough the last five seasons, six seasons even, to cement himself as the clear cut number one. Alvin Kamara, I mean, explosive, obviously. And, 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 you know, in looking at some of his numbers, I was expecting to see more of a Tyreek Hill effect. I, I was thinking that there would be more touchdowns that seemed to normalize next season. Like Hill didn't have a single touchdown inside the 20 last season. You look at stuff like that and go, those aren't necessarily the most reliable types of touchdowns, but Camaro was used inside the goal line. He was targeted both in the running game and passing game inside the goal line. But you know, you would expect Drew Brees' touchdown rate to, to normalize this season. You'd expect him to maybe take a little bit more of that share in the red zone that he didn't get last season. And Mark Ingram is obviously still going to be involved. And and then the other guy who could get inside the top five is, is Saquon Barkley. But I, I don't think we yet know enough about him in particular and that situation with the Giants to say that he's above Johnson, Elliott, Bell, or Gurley. Just – with especially with how poor that giant offensive line has played the last half decade. I mean, yes, they go out and sign Nate Solder, who by uh, football outsiders was one of the best blocking offensive tackles in the league last season. He was top 10 by pro football focus in terms of run blocking tackles. So a very nice addition to that offensive line, but that's one piece like can Eric flowers is the pressure going to be relieved from him now not having to play left tackle, he can move over to right tackle, and maybe he's not the nightmare he's been the last couple seasons. So, no, I, I think there is such a clear-cut top five that I wouldn't be comfortable saying there's someone who should be in there because I don't know who I would take out. I, I think if, if I were to rank them in a PPR, it's Bell, Gurley, Johnson, Brown, then Elliott, and I think I would have Gurley above Bell, in a standard, but that's that's really the only deviation. All right, Gary, and tell our listeners what they can expect from Fantasy on 5 during the regular season. Yeah, during the regular season, we'll be uh, coming at you still on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, myself and David Ganos uh, will be breaking down the waiver wire on Tuesday episodes. Uh, we will also be talking about some buy low and sell high candidates and really just recapping what went down. And then on Thursdays, that's kind of our transitional episode. We'll talk some DFS. Uh, if you guys out there are interested in playing on DraftKings or on FanDuel, we'll also do some future waivers. It's something David really likes to talk about and uh, really get down to the nitty-gritty of the injuries that week and the particular matchups. All right. Thank you, Gary. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks to Gary Ian, who I wanted to call Garrison Hurst, the uh, 49ers running back, but I don't think it's the same guy. It could have been, but I don't think it was. Um, Garrison Hurst would have been a great booking. Anyway, that's it for us this week. We will be back next week. We will review the Dolphins' almost certain victory over the uh, Baltimore Ravens, where we'll score lots of points. Nobody will think about what happens. We'll throw the ball more than 15 yards down the field, but even if we don't, nobody gives a shit. Um, and we will be back next week. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.